Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. I am so glad you're joining me on this episode. My name is John Whitaker, and if we're meeting for the first time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. The Bible in Life is designed to provide what I call blue jeans theology. By that, I mean like Bible teaching that's in the language of everyday life, that wears the clothes of everyday dress, that's set in the context of everyday life so that you and I can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And so I pray that you find this valuable and helpful. And if you're a regular listener to the podcast, I'm so glad you're part of the Bible and Life family. This ministry, the Bible and Life podcast, the listener's commentary, where I teach straight through other Bible books and some of the other resources I've been creating and putting together is by and large, a crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generosity of people who believe that the Bible is wisdom for life and they want to see as many people as possible dig into it and study it and be rooted deeply in it. And so they generously give to support this ministry so that I can provide so many of these resources for free. And so thanks a ton to those of you who support this ministry, support this show. If you've been blessed or impacted in some way by this ministry and uh, want to join the team of supporters, you can do that at johnwhitaker.net slash give, johnwhitaker.net slash give. You can set up a monthly uh, donation right there. Or if you're not able to do monthly, you want to set up a one-time gift, man, feel free to do that as well. All donations are are received in partnership with World Family Mission and thus are tax deductible. So thanks a ton to those of you who support the show that way. And thanks to each of you who are part of the Bible and Life family. On this episode, I want to just explore briefly a little Bible study on this question. And the question is, what's the measure of spiritual maturity? What's the measure of spiritual maturity? As a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, how do you know when you're mature, when you've arrived at spiritual maturity? As a pastor or a disciple maker or as uh, someone who is leading others in, into growth in Jesus, what's the target? What's the goal we're aiming at, right? That's the question I really want us to explore. So whether it's for our own personal self-evaluation and our own personal growth, or whether it's for helping other people grow, we need to have clear in mind what's the measure of spiritual maturity. What's the goal of discipleship to Jesus, and the reason that's an important question is because there's a variety of ways we could think about that. One of the most common is uh, ministry and religious activity. Uh, that people, we want to get people plugged into the church. We want people to be, you know, doing things and serving Jesus and be involved in his kingdom. And uh, we see that as uh, an indicator of spiritual maturity. And it can be. But it's not necessarily that. In fact, someone could be very busy about ministry, very busy with uh, Christian activity and religious activity, and be very immature spiritually and maybe not even be living as a disciple of Jesus. And this is important for us, right? Like, is it just getting involved in your church and being involved in various programs and serving in various capacities? Is that the measure of spiritual maturity? Listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. They're fairly well-known words in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Do you hear that? These people were busy about ministry in Jesus' name. They were they were doing powerful works of ministry even in Jesus' name. They were serving in Jesus' name. They were invested in and involved in the kingdom, like from external appearances. Man, these people were, they were powerful. They were important. They were serving. They were committed. And yet Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you practice, you who practice lawlessness. The Apostle Paul really is making the same point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, right? Like he's referring to people that have spiritual powers, spiritual prowess, right? They, they, they're, they, they're serving Jesus. They're doing things in his name. They're, they're active in ministry. And yet, in both these cases, those people are like, no, you're really not there. In fact, in the case of Ma- Matthew 7, 21 and following, Jesus says, depart from me. It's not just that you're not mature. You're not even really part of Jesus' family because you don't do God's will in Matthew 7. And so being um, busy with Christian ministry does not necessarily equate to discipleship to Jesus. And being busy in Christian ministry does not necessarily equate to spiritual maturity. That's really important for us. And so as we wrestle with what is the measure of spiritual maturity, we need to pause and think, well, what really is that? Like, how do I know if I am mature in Christ? And how do I help other people become mature in Christ? And the answer is this. What's the measure of spiritual maturity? Well, the answer is love. And specifically, Jesus-like love. We have to clarify that because the word love is so weak, so watered down, and so anemic in the American vernacular that we can't just say love, right? Like we love pizza. We love a great movie. We love a good book. We love this song, right? We love our dog, but hopefully we don't love all these things exactly the same way. We love our spouse. We love our kids, right? There's, we only have this one word and it's become so almost sentimental that we fail to understand what Jesus-like love is. But the measure of spiritual maturity is just that. It's Jesus-like love. In fact, that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that I read a second ago, I skipped over some of the lines because this is what Paul actually says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and I understand all knowledge and I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Like Jesus-like love is the center, the goal, the measure of what it means to follow Jesus. And so if we 
we have a Bible that's all marked up and we can, we can answer all sorts of Bible questions, but we don't have love for nothing. If we are busy about, uh, you know, being involved in our church and helping out in ministry and volunteering in this activity, and we're busy about that, but we're not growing in Jesus-like love, we're not growing as a disciple of Jesus. This is the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the goal that, that, uh, of Jesus in our life. He wants to form within us his very kind of love. Love for God and love for people. And this has been on my mind quite a bit lately just because, um, man, I think it's so easy for us to choose lesser, maybe easier goals. As a pastor, to choose easier goals for our people. As a follower, to choose easier goals for myself. It's easy to get involved in church compared to actually learning how to love like Jesus. It's easy to, you know, to impress people with my Bible knowledge rather than to love like Jesus. And I was particularly struck by this in my own personal reading of First Peter. I've been praying through and reading through First Peter uh, the last week or so in the mornings. And this passage really just jumped off the page of me. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brethren. Notice that. like The way Peter states it here is one of the primary reasons we have obeyed the gospel, the truth about Jesus, and purified our souls thereby is for a sincere genuine, authentic love of the brothers and sisters in Christ. Sincere, brotherly love. And then he just follows that up with fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again. And he goes on to talk about like our new birth in Christ, the purification of our souls is aimed at a sincere love of the brethren. And we're called to fervently love one another from the heart. That This really is the measure and this really is the mark of our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. So how are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? Are we learning to love like Jesus? And this Jesus-centered love, when it says fervently love one another from the heart, if you're familiar, you've been around the church much, you know that the distinctively Christian word for love is agape, that in Greek they didn't have just one word for love. They had multiple words. Uh, this particular word, agape, became the distinctively Christian word. I, I think there's probably a variety of reasons for it. One is the word wasn't used that much. At least we don't have much evidence of its usage outside of the biblical material prior to the writing of the New Testament and the translation even of some of the Old Testament. So this word didn't have a whole lot of cultural baggage with it. And so the Christians could take this word and infuse it with distinctively Christian content. And the content they infused it with is the self-sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus. Like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the pattern. 
That's the model. And consistently, that's the pattern of the model for all Christian love. Like, be imitators of God, therefore, and walk in love. And then it goes on to talk about the cross again. Like, this is the pattern. This is the model for us, this distinctive cross-shaped, Christ-like kind of love. Love one another from the heart that way. Christian love is this this self-giving commitment to the well-being of another person, regardless of what it costs you, and regardless of what you get out of it, and regardless how you feel. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. It doesn't matter if you like the person or you enjoy their company. Uh, You are called, and I am called, to have a will that is set and committed to what's in their best interest, to what's good for them, that you see the beauty in them and you see uh, God's work in them and you want to help them see it for themselves as well. You want to be near to them as Jesus came near to you. You want to welcome them into your life as Jesus welcomed you into his, right? Like this is the pattern. This is the model. This is the heart and goal of our, our Christian life. This is the measure of our spiritual maturity. And so if we think of ourselves as spiritually mature because we're really involved in church and we're really good at religious activities, but we do not have this kind of love, the Apostle Paul would say it amounts to nothing. It's just a bunch of activity. It's just a bunch of religious noise. It really doesn't matter. That's the force of what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so My encouragement and my exhortation to us as God's people in this present time is how can we, in our context, uh, how can we love our brothers and sisters in Christ sincerely? How can we practice fervent love of one another from the heart? And there are a lot of things that make this difficult and challenging. Some of it just societal, cultural things. In the in the Western societies, America, and from what I know of other places, Australia, New Zealand, places in Europe, uh, but America seems to be the worst at this. Man, we have such staunch, rampant individualism. That's a challenge, and it shows up all over the place. We love our privacy. We don't want to let people in. Um, we tend to view everything and loop everything through our own kind of evaluation filter of our own life and what we want to do and what we like and what we prefer. And we are so self-absorbed and so individualistic. That makes it hard in the church in America to love one another deeply from the heart. Um, add to that the busyness and the pace of life in American culture and how we fill so much of our time with uh, so many activities, social activities, school activities, our kids' activities, our work activities, our church activities. And it's like, how do we have time to love one another deeply from the heart? Like, there are real difficulties and real challenges to us actually attaining this measure, this goal of our spiritual life. Um, Then you add to it just normal human fallenness and normal fleshliness where this this cuts against the grain of our self-preservation, our self-protection, and our self-interest. 
all of this makes uh, makes learning to love one another from the heart difficult and means we have to be intentional about doing it. It's not going to happen on accident. It's not going to happen haphazardly. It's going to have to be intentionally. We're going to have to be willing to imitate Jesus and learn how to love one another deeply from the heart. We're going to have to be willing to set aside our own preferences. We're going to have to be willing to rearrange our schedule. And we're going to have to pursue laying down our lives for others the way Jesus laid down his life for us. We're going to have to do that in some little ways. We're going to have to do that in some big ways. Sometimes it means not necessarily... um, adding something new to your life. Sometimes it means doing what you already do differently. Like you can do the dishes at home with a negative, sour, begrudging spirit, or you can do them uh, as a spiritual discipline and an act of service, asking God to teach you to love, even in the simplest of little ways like this. Uh, You can volunteer for extra tasks at work and do them as a spiritual discipline, offering yourself to God, asking him to teach you how to lay down your rights and lay down your life for others like he laid down his life for you. And so sometimes it's doing things that we already do, but doing them differently as a means of Uh, asking God to pour his grace and his love into our heart and teaching us how to lay down our life for others. Sometimes it means we're going to have to cut some things out of our life so we have more space for other people rather than being so busy. And so if we are going to follow the one who laid down his life for us, then we're going to learn to lay down our lives for others. This is the measure of our spiritual maturity. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to become like him from the inside out. And the hallmark of that, the hub of that, the centerpiece of that is this self-giving commitment to the well-being of other people, regardless of what it costs us, regardless of how we feel, and regardless of what we get out of it ourselves. And so, my friends, let me just end by having you listen once again to the words of the Apostle Peter who says, Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I am so grateful for you. God bless you guys. Walk in love this week. And I look forward to talking to you again next week.